Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome back, Tarp Crew, after our week-long hiatus for the 76th episode of the Pulling Tarp Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn, pumped to be back with Chief Operating Officer of the Lexington Legends and the West Virginia Power, Jesse Scaglione. Make sure to go back and listen through the catalog, folks. There's 75 other great episodes with amazing people that work in minor league baseball. So many different stories and backgrounds and different teams and different parts of the country there. Something for everybody. So go back and check that out. If you want a shout-out, it's pretty darn easy. Drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. If you know of any businesses looking to branch out with their marketing and potentially sponsor the Pulling TARP podcast, please let me know. The easiest way to get a hold of me is to follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N for all up-to-date news about the Pulling TARP podcast. With that being said, let's chat with Jesse Scaglione. Jesse, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. I want to start off with an apology. Uh, I apologize for trying to replace you from last week's spot with your own fiancé. In my defense, I had no idea that Emma was your fiancé. Uh, congrats on your engagement. When is the big day? Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, I don't remember that personally when you tried to replace me with her. That's fine. She's <laughs> way cooler than me. She's she's better. Right? It's all good. Um, our big day is October twenty second, two thousand twenty two. All right, in Buxton, Maine. Ooh, yeah. okay, nice. So we're excited about it. Yeah, that is awesome. Awesome. Outside, inside. What do you What are you guys thinking there? Both. Okay. It's a, don't quote me on this, 52-acre farm Ooh. in Maine. Uh, beautiful barn uh, with a, a barn house next to it and a sanctuary in the woods and a bunch of hiking trails and all the really cool stuff to do in Maine in one little area. Um, someone that Emma's friendly with got married there, so we checked it out, knew it was the place for us. So we're going to have about 200 people there. Uh, we're going to have an indoor dance floor and bar and, you know, main area and then an outdoor tent and some food trucks instead of a typical catered meal and uh, we paid the city extra money to go over the noise permit and so it's just going to be a really big party uh, that we're excited to have yeah that sounds amazing actually um yeah so so i just saw you take a swig what are you drinking tonight 
I am working on uh, World on a String by Algash. Algash, Ooh. very popular brewery, is actually up here, and so it's a um, just a standard ale, but it's it's aged in bourbon barrels. So Ooh. it's got the Kentucky thing for me going here. Nice. My main, you know, I gotta bring it all together. Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm just going back to Wisconsin with a nice uh, Line and Kugel's Summer Shandy. Andy actions? Yeah. That was the other thought, but I'm out of summer shandy, so I had to class it up for you tonight, Bobby. <laughs> you know? I like it. Wonderful. I like it. Give off impression. <laughs> All right. Well, so you were saying that, that you and Emma live in Maine now. And yeah. so and you're the CEO of the West Virginia Power and the Lexington Legends ownership group. How are you able to, to do that job while living in Maine? Yeah, it's it's uh, difficult for sure. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, fortunately for me, the owner uh, of both teams, Andy Shea, who is our president in Lexington and then our managing partner in West Virginia, is an extremely you know awesome person and, and understanding and knew that um, when Emma got the job up here and then COVID hit and all those factors that probably needed to be able to be flexible and, and go travel around as much as I possibly could. And so that's what I do. Uh, you, you caught me in Maine right now. Next week or the week after, I'll be in Lexington. Fortunately, I don't have to spend too much time in Charleston, only because the president of the West Virginia Power is Chuck Domino, who is a minor league baseball legend, helped you know the rebrand and start of Lehigh, Montgomery, Omaha, okay. Richmond, Rocket City, Reading, you name it, Chuck Domino's been a part of it. And so he is actually our, our operating president there. And so he's there day to day, and it makes my job a lot easier. I just have to help out with some of the baseball operations things. Um, and then I just, you know, I answer emails, answer my phone, and I sit in front of my computer during home games and, and watch the stream and, you know, message people on Slack when I see something out of place or oh. really annoy them that way, and I make it work. Okay. It sound, it, honestly, it sounds like the dream job. I mean... It, it is. It's tough. I will say, you know, remote work was so, was such the thing last year, and obviously coming out of a pandemic and you hear about all these companies, people don't want to go back to work or, or whatnot. It is very difficult to work remotely in baseball, yeah. particularly because I don't know what to do with myself on weekends or at night when people should be at a ballpark. I typically would be at a ballpark. I'm usually first in, last out when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely weird. Um, it's, it's new for me. I spend time at Sea Dogs games up here when I sure. can. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll travel some of the weekends when the team is off and I can go meet up with whoever and, and visit friends and stuff. So it's difficult, it's weird, but it's working for us and, and I like it a lot and it keeps me involved. Yeah. I mean, to me, like that was, you know, the reasons that I got out of baseball were, were number one, um, the hours away from, you know, my my wife and, and family and stuff and um, and then also the the pay and i just feel like if if uh if i could work from home and still work in baseball that would be amazing i mean in in my role at the shorebirds i probably could have done that until game time um right. but um because cause nobody else knew how to run, run the video board video <laughs> board back then um they do they do now obviously but um yeah most of my day was updating a website, sending out press releases, doing graphic design. So I could have done most of that from home, but a lot of my a lot of my current role within the organization focuses on the baseball operation side of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what goes into signing and trading players and, and dealing with all that and the, the endless amounts of paperwork and 
So that luckily is, is, is accessible for me anywhere I can get on the Google Drive and, and make it work. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get into that later. Um, you know the differences between minor league baseball and independent league, um, but. For now, uh, let's just talk about how you worked your way up from a group sales representative all the way to COO. Yeah, it's been a journey. It's been a it's been a grind. The, the key buzzwords in, in baseball. I actually mm-hmm. uh, I was working in hockey as a ticket sales associate in 2010 for the now defunct Binghamton Senators of the mm-hmm. AHL and. Uh, a friend of mine who I went to high school with was getting into sports and had a ticket to the winter meetings. And I thought, you know, that's cool. I love baseball. Maybe I'll go. Kind of got dragged into it. Uh, went down there, met up with the GM of the Binghamton Mets uh, at the time. And, and we just kind of hit it off. You're supposed to go on those job meetings for like five, 10 minutes. I was there for 45 minutes. Nice. Went to the piano bar, went to all the hot spots you would in lovely Swan and Dolphin in Orlando. Um, and got a job and, and started out as a group sales associate in Binghamton and a very small staff back then. Uh, there was about 12 of us year round who okay. made that place run and uh, did a great job. And I, I just kind of took it as a great challenge to outsell what I had done with the hockey team in the same market and really, you know, was again, first guy in the door, last guy out, volunteered to do anything and everything, whether it was events, ticket campaigns, cold calling. I will call anyone and talk to anyone at all times, uh, you know, tarp pulls, mascot duties, picking up trash, whatever it is. Uh, and I kind of got lucky on my first day there. Uh, first phone call I made was off an old sales list and I sold a 400 person group on my first phone call. <laughs> I think that right there just propelled me into it. Um, I called the company up the camp. It was a summer camp and I told them I was from the wrong team. I said I was from the hockey team and then mm-hmm. corrected myself as Someone threw something at me in the office and worked through it. I think the guy felt bad for me, actually. He, he bought the tickets, and it just kind of helped me get jumpstart that year. And We had an unbelievable ticket sales staff. Um, every one of us are still in the business, a couple guys in the big leagues, a couple guys in the NBA. Everyone's just doing their thing. And so we, we just grinded it out as a team and hit sales records that year and uh, just kind of kept going and worked my way up, started getting involved in social media, a little bit of food and beverage, corporate sales, things like that. Got an opportunity to go to Lexington. Um, was visiting some friends in Kentucky, same friend who got me to the winter meetings, mm-hmm. and met Bucky Shea, the president, and we kind of hit it off, and he had a job open in corporate sales, and I figured probably time to get, get out of Binghamton. There was an ownership change coming that we knew about, and so right. jumped ship down to Kentucky. You know, a kid from you know New York City going to Kentucky, very, very common thing, <laughs> and uh Moved on down there and, and just kind of worked my way up. Just kept going. You know, the biggest thing for me is I'm not great at any one job in the industry, but I can do a lot of things well. And like you mentioned earlier, video boards or press releases or social media, cooking, whatever it is, I, I've done it. And yeah. so that's kind of how I got there and um, was able to take on this new project as COO with this whole transfer of teams and leagues and stuff. And it's it's been a fun journey. I've, I've enjoyed every bit of it. Wow. Yeah, so... That's what people in minor league baseball are looking for is that well-rounded person. Um, I always tell people that they haven't worked in minor league baseball until they've been a mascot and they've pulled tarp. So, yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, along with you, I mean, I have experience in food and beverage, 
um, social media and graphic design, sales, um, management, you know, you, yeah. you name it. It's, yeah. It, for me, it's, you know, I've spent time, like you said, every role, everything. I even called two innings of baseball last summer. Everyone <laughs> gets upset about it because I say that I'm the best broadcaster in my house, but that's a different story. But, you know, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is that Swiss Army knife, like you mentioned, is, yeah. you know, everyone that I think, every person I know who has been on this podcast with you is that person. They can do multiple yep. things. They fill in when they need to, and they love the the product and the results of that. And so for me, I knew early on that, you know, I didn't just want to be a ticket sales guy my whole career. I didn't want to just be a corporate salesperson. I wanted to be able to answer questions without having to go to anyone. Mm-hmm. And by learning the different facets of the business, I made myself extremely valuable to the team. But then also so that when we could, grow our teams or grow our businesses, I could be in those cool hidden GM meetings and, and phone calls and that are really not that cool and actually really boring. And, and you know, if it, the, the mound needs to be repaired, I'll go repair the mound. If someone needs me to catch a bullpen, I'll catch a bullpen. If I need to paint the walls in the middle, middle of the game, I'll, whatever it is. And that's, I think that's the beauty of minor league baseball is you don't sit in a cube all day in a shirt and tie, you know, inputting data and making boring phone calls. And that's, that's kind of what kept me going through it. Right. Right. I tell people all the time now that I, I literally sit at a desk all pretty much all day. Um, and I, and I tell people, I said, I'd much rather be doing manual labor or pulling tarp because my back kills me sitting at a desk all day. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I'd much rather be pulling tarp. And I know Hunter Hornstein is, is gonna be like, dude, nobody likes pulling tarp, but I did, I would rather do that than sit at a desk. I think he does. I think he likes pulling tarp, though. I don't think he wants people to know that. <laughs> nothing Maybe. like a, you know, nothing like a good tarp pull at like two in the morning when half the staff is, is drunk and mm-hmm. a pop up shower pops up and your groundskeeper freaks out and you gotta cover the field and, it's it's the camaraderie that you know the thing about pulling tarp is no one likes it but i think the camaraderie of it and the, you know you you know you're in it with everyone else up there it doesn't matter if you're the president ticket intern whatever it is you're all in that together it's the only time in the minor league baseball world that everyone is at the same level right i think that's really cool yeah that i I've, I've never thought about it that way um but now that you say that that it, that is one of the the good things about pulling tarp um, if you're, if you're new to the industry, um, groundskeepers are really fun to go out with, but <laughs> if, if there's a blip on the radar, they will, they will make you go to the field and put the tarp on the field at closing time of the yeah. bar. So, uh, we've all, I think we've all been, I think we've all been with, to the, uh, anyone who's worked in minor league baseball, except for the, some of the West coast people who don't have tarps. Yeah. Teams, which that's a separate issue. Um, Jill Garen, if you're listening to this from Visalia, this is 100% for you. But those people don't count. They're going to pull tarp. They're not employees. But for the rest of us, I think we've all been there with that <laughs> frantic text message or Slack message at like 2 or 3 in the morning about something. I, I remember we had a tarp pull at uh, like 4 a.m. one day because it just, Kentucky just pops up. And yep. I think most of us got there somehow. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah, that's wild. So I was checking out your Instagram which is how I came to find out that you and Emma are engaged. Um, but so you've listened to a couple episodes. You know my dog is very spoiled. 
Um, yeah. I, I picked Bo up from daycare on my way home from work. Um, how spoiled is Davey on a scale of 1 to 10? Put it this way. Davey's currently sitting in the bedroom with the door closed with a fan on him and his food bowl and water bowl right next to him in case he gets hungry or thirsty. <laughs> Davey gets anything he wants. Um, <laughs> He is he is technically Emma's dog. Okay. Um, he, she adopted him in college at Mizzou, and he had been abandoned on the side of the road, which is mind blowing. Right. Um, but you know we love him, and he is he goes on car trips every morning. If I go to get Duncan in the morning for coffee, he's in the car with me, and they give him treats. And I mean, everywhere we go, he's he's a good looking dog, so people want to pet him and love on him and give him food, and he he lives a good life. Man, yeah. He he's got it pretty made. Yes. Uh... It's along the same lines as me. Uh, Shelby got Bo, adopted him, again, found alongside of the road as a puppy. Um, and I was at the Video TX conference in St. Louis um, at, the, at the time that Bo was adopted. So um, technically it's Shelby's dog, but I'm the one that takes him out and feeds him and exactly. All that Emma's stuff, on the road. So. Gotta take him out. Gotta take care of him. Right. I think the biggest line for me that Davy is the uh, most important part of our little family is that we have to plan our road trips around him. Mm-hmm. Not just like, taking him to daycare for the weekend, but you know we'll go to Texas for Christmas and we gotta drive him to Texas because he can't fly. Mm-hmm. He's 85 pounds and he doesn't do well. So I have to plan my December winter break around how I'm going to drive Davy from Portland, Maine. To Dallas, Texas, Oof. in a reasonable fashion that isn't just absolutely brutal for me. So yeah, that's the current strategy that we're working on: <laughs> is just get baby Texas happy. Wow, that's good. what kind of dog is he? He's some sort of collie, right? Yeah, he's a collie shepherd mix. We did one of those dog DNA things because you know everyone else did last year, mm-hmm. and it turned out that he's also a miniature Schnauzer. Oh, okay. So he's for those who can't see him. Obviously, he's eighty-five pounds, and he looks like a fox. So how he's miniature schnauzer, not really sure. Right. But he, uh, but he is. He looks like a fox, and uh, he's the best. He really is the sweetest dog. He, he just chills out, doesn't bark at people, doesn't attack dogs. Just, just wants to be chilling and loved. Man, what a what a dream. What a dream life. Um, we also cat. We do have. A, I should say oh. we have a nineteen year old cat as well. A nineteen year old cat. Yeah, we have a 19-year-old tabby cat named Dill, who technically is property of Emma's grandfather, the legendary Bill Mercer. Um, very long story that will bore everyone to sleep, but we ended up with him. So um, he is he's currently sleeping in the dog's bed right now, and he likes to get up, yell at us, bite us, and go back to sleep. So we've got a wow. cool dynamic going here. Yeah, sounds like it. Wow. <laughs> so Different. also on your Instagram, lots of pictures of food, which I love. What has been your favorite ballpark concessions item? Oh, I so fun fact about me. I, I do love to cook. Uh, I've spent some time in culinary school. It's, like, it's my passion. It's my hobby. Um, during COVID, when the stadium was shut down, I actually was the chef for the team, and we did a bunch of to-go food and events and stuff, and I love doing that. But when I go to a baseball game, I am straight up hot dog, beer, ice cream, and a helmet. Okay. I, you know, like Jake Eisenberg's still my thing, but I am the Sunday ice cream and the helmet guy. Um, I'd say my best food, though, like the, my favorite concession item in the whole world is any Yankee fan out there, or anyone who's been to Yankee Stadium since they tore down the greatest place on earth and rebuilt this into a Best Buy. They do have a 
bucket of chicken that you can get, the chicken bucket, and it is a giant plastic tub full of chicken tenders and fries. Whoa. It's not the greatest in the world, but for some reason, the chicken bucket is as a thing. It's it's everyone talks about it. It's got its own fan club on social media. Oh. It's all about the chicken bucket, the garlic fries. Um, I, I like I like eccentric food. I like going to ballparks and trying out uh, whatever their specialty is, whatever Ben Hill hasn't eaten. Me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and try that stuff out. I'd say in Lexington, um, we do a, a really good. Uh, brisket sandwich okay uh, really good pulled pork sandwich you know kentucky barbecue things like that but i'm i'm a hot dog and ice cream guy okay All i right. just tried uh was at city field on friday for the vets reds game or saturday excuse me and i i had uh, the pizza cupcake have you heard of this no it is a breaded it's a it's a it's pizza in a cupcake mold and it's filled with sauce and it's got a little cheese melted and then you dip it in the sauce and so it's like four little cupcakes of pizza bites that's like probably like fifty dollars. I was like ten dollars. Um, it was weird. It was cool. Wow. It was really weird. It's becoming this big thing at City Field. And one of the former guys who played for us, I saw posted about it on Instagram, and I was like, oh, I gotta try this. So I like, ran around City Field and found it. Um, that's a new one for me. Interesting. It sounds delicious. I feel like if I had been drinking more during the game and then got to it, I would have loved it, you know, right. that kind of thing. But it was uh, it was different. Definitely different for sure. I like different. I like the different options. Okay. Yeah, I do too. I always like to try, like, I mean, Clinton is a, a certainly desirable place to go visit. But when <laughs> I visited there, I had to get, like, the, the garbage tray or whatever they call it, the garbage pail. Um... You know, when I was in Beloit, everybody loved the Snappy Burger, which is a brat cut in half and laid on top of a cheeseburger. Um, uh, in Williamsport, we did a uh, a cheeseburger where the buns were um, Krispy Kremes. Those were those were good. Oh my gosh! I I always I'm with you. I always like to try like whatever teams like whatever their specialty is like. Something outlandish, like something crazy. We did a we did fried bologna on, on glazed donuts one year. Um, that sold decently well. The, it's funny Binghamton, my first my first love there. Binghamton, um, the specialty is the chicken speedy. They have an alternate identity for it. It's really just a chicken sandwich, grilled chicken sandwich, and the chicken's marinated in a special speedy seasoning, which is really just Thousand Island dressing. Oh, and, uh, okay. Again, they're gonna come after me for this one, but. <laughs> It's like the greatest thing. It's just so consistent. You throw some hot sauce on there and do it up. So, you know, I think all the regional food stuff, I love the food identities. I think that's the coolest thing in baseball. Oh, yeah. I love it. Every ballpark I go to, I look for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Delmarva Scrapple was was certainly a project, um, but, but a good one nonetheless. And I had so much Scrapple that day, it was in, insane. I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, I like to cook a ton of, you know, you, as you said, my Instagram is full of my meals and things like that. It's kind of my uh, way to organize and, and calm the chaos. I like to just go in the kitchen and throw some music on and um, prep everything. I'm one of those annoying people who has to prep everything into like little takeout bowls like you would see in like a bad Gordon Ramsay show. <laughs> and I have to keep it all like organized and measured out and, and build it. Um, probably stems from my obsession with Legos as a kid. 
but you know, mm-hmm. tonight I made something. And so I just, that's like my nice go-to take a break from reality and, and focus. Nice. No wonder Emma keeps you around. That's honestly why I cook. <laughs> she can't cook. And so it's, I think that's what it is. What's your favorite so, thing to, to make at home? Ooh, that's really tough. Uh, my, my best dish, uh, Italian is most of my training. Okay. Um, so my best dish, hands down, go-to is lasagna. I make a lasagna from scratch. If I'm really feeling good, I'll make the noodles from scratch as well. Um, that's, that's my best. And then my chicken parm, my, I make all my sauces from scratch. And my chicken parm, we sold it at the ballpark this summer as a chicken parm sandwich. And we sold out of it like four straight weeks. And that's my... You can't beat it. It's chicken, cheese, and sauce. Like it's the greatest thing ever. It's so good. You can't mess it up, but um, I, I feel like mine's pretty good. I'd throw it up there against anyone's. Oh man, you're making me, you're making me hungry, dude. I I love a good chicken parm. Ooh. All right. It's just it's the it's the perfect comfort food. So I, that was my specialty this summer. I think I changed a lot of people's opinions in my office of what I can do. Okay, I like it. Uh, so what's it like being engaged to someone else who works in minor league baseball and even goes on the road with the team? It's nice. You know, I think one of the things we all struggle with in the industry as a whole is dating. It's such a big, yeah. you know, either you come into the industry married and your other, your partner resents you because you're never home or you meet someone in the industry and they understand it, but they want you to leave it because that's tough. You don't spend time with them. So it was really cool. I was able to, you know, Em and I started dating. We worked together, obviously, and uh, we hit it off pretty quickly, and it, and it worked well. We were able to work together and maintain professionalism and, and handle all that. But at the end of the day, it was nice to, you know, be dating someone who understood exactly what I was going through from a day-to-day basis. Right. And also didn't care that I was at the ballpark for 55 hours a day because they also were doing that. So that's really cool. I think, you know, that part was important to me to find someone who loves sports and baseball as much as I do. I'm definitely a sports addict. You can find me at some sporting event. I'm sure there's a game on my TV right now. I was up this morning for baseball. I'm up watching the Olympics in the middle of the night. Don't even know why, but I love it. (laughs) So it's cool to have someone who can, you know, share that experience, that excitement with you. And um, it's definitely different now. It's shifted now that she's with the Portland Sea Dogs and she's on the road. She left this morning for Binghamton, ironically enough. Um, (laughs) And it's, you know, we try to schedule our, our off days around. She's off every Monday. And, you know, what we do, whether, you know, it's always date night. If, if she's here on a Monday, it's date night. Uh, if not, you know, this weekend, the team, my team is on the road. Her team's in Binghamton. So I'm going to drive down for the weekend, okay. see some old friends, you know, do that thing and, and try to make it a point to visit her on the road as much as possible. And then in the off season, we just travel as much as we can and spend time together. And so it's, um, it's different, but it's the only thing we know. Yeah. So far in our relationship, so it works really well. Uh, and, and we're both, we're not extremely needy people, so it's nice to be able to just do our thing and, and continue to thrive. Right. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys are, are really making it work. I mean, it helps that you can work remotely um, in, yeah. Maine, in Maine there. Um, and we talked a little bit before we started recording. Um, but but yeah, I mean, dating in the, in the sports industry is incredibly difficult right like you you move to a new city where you don't really know anybody and you're working all the time um that's why you know we're all on dating apps and that kind of stuff yeah um and it is and um a lot of times people end up 
dating uh, or, you know, have significant others with people that they work with. And that can be, that can be really good in your case, or it could have been really bad, like in my case. <laughs> um, so, um, I didn't say it. Oh, I, I mean, I'll be the first to say it. Um, it just, it just didn't work. I mean, for, for a number of different reasons, but like there was no escaping the other person, you know, like there's no time to yourself. Um, because after you work a hundred hours a week, they want to hang out and you don't want to do that. So, um, yeah, that's what works for us is we have that escape, that built in escape of like, if you need some time alone, needs, you know, you got to focus on stuff. And, um, we were, you know, we didn't live together until very, I'd say, you know, very recently leaving Kentucky, we we got our apartment together and, you know, it just, we were able to slow play it and and make sure it was serious. And, you know, we didn't want to make it a big deal and we didn't want people in the office to be weird about it. And, um, for us, it was just, it worked out really well. We, we have very similar personalities. We both have a lot in common. Weirdly enough, both of our parents, sets of parents, met at work. Oh. So just kind of doomed, I guess, that way. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, funny enough, I met her parents for the first time. They came to a game. Um, we weren't even seriously dating or anything, but it was the 4th of July, and it was quarter hot dog night. And we had 8,000 people. We had our largest turnstile in, like, four years. And we were making hot dogs, and I ended up meeting them while I was wearing gloves, rolling hot dogs in a concession stand with like six interns and like an all you know an off-site alternate satellite stand type thing. Yeah, and that's when we met. And understood it, and they thought it was great, and they were cheering me on. And so, she comes from a baseball family, as do I, and I think it just works out really well that way. That's that's awesome. Well, she's really cool. She's like really cool, so it helps. Yeah, right. <laughs> that that certainly always helps. Maybe that was my issue. I don't know. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, but okay. So obviously Lexington and West Virginia were minor league teams. Um, what all goes into teams transitioning from an affiliated minor league baseball team to the Atlantic league, which is an independent team, independent league, but a partner league of major league baseball you know the whole process was was tough and and i don't mean that from a transition standpoint i think by now everyone around this sport knows what happened with the contraction and you know the leading up to the contraction and ending the 2019 season knowing that it was out there and then having 2020 wiped out covid and not knowing are you contracted are you not contracted and it was tough because We were one of those teams, and I'm sure everyone feels this way, and I could be making this up, but we were one of those teams who was pretty confident that it's real and it's going to happen, but everyone told us we were that, that last team off. Maybe we could go back if something doesn't happen. You know, there's a lot of question marks. Beloit, that was a big question mark. Right. The ballpark. Um, you know, some teams may not have been financially secure enough to do the changes required by the PDL. Mm-hmm. And so – we were kind of in this in-between of like, we're probably going to be cut, and we were very mad about it. You know, I found out about it at the 2019 South Atlantic League League meetings in Charleston, South Carolina, through Pat O'Connor showed up, the mm-hmm. president of minor league baseball at the time. And, you know, Pat doesn't just show up to things 
for the hell of it. So right. um, it's kind of weird. And, and as you do in minor league baseball, you go to the bar at these things and you talk to people and so-and-so's boss is on this committee and whatever. And I found out that way. And I called wow. the ownership and said, hey, I don't know if you guys know what's going on, but this is it. And a lot of angry phone calls and fired up people and, you know, got back from Charleston and, and we started thinking, all right, what can we do? How do we fix this? How do we, how do we fix the ballpark? What is, what's the dollar amount? Give me a dollar amount. Give mm-hmm. me a, give me a plan. Tell me what it is. And then we realized that it was bigger than that. And it wasn't just about that. There were so many factors in this. And as it's played out, you know, so much has come out since then. And our immediate goal was what's next. The president of our team, Andy Shea, always says to us, what's next? Everything's good, but what, do better. What's next? Not as a way to, you know, rile us up, but more so to say we can't stop and settle for nothing. We have to keep going. And, mm-hmm. You know, we sat down and said, all right, what's next? Is it indie ball? Is it the draft league? Is it, the, you know, all these things happened. And so COVID comes up, the season gets canceled. We had just won back-to-back South Atlantic League championships, which is really cool for like the 12 of us who care. Got the rings ordered. That's an expensive. That's a big project. Yeah, um, you know, got all that stuff going, and and the season get canceled. And we said, well, we have to do something because we own our ballpark, and we need to honor our season ticket holders and our sponsor commitments and people who have supported us for twenty years. And what do we do? So we called up the guys up at the Florence Yalls up in, in northern Kentucky and said, hey, what if we had an independent season just between the two of us? Mm-hmm. We'll create two teams. You create two teams. And we'll play each other 35 straight days. Every t- Since there's four teams, you can play in each ballpark every night. We'll sign minor league guys who are seasons have been canceled. We'll find the tryouts. We'll make some money off of it. We'll create a stir. We'll keep it to the whatever the state minimum is or maximum is for fans. It was like 1,000 people at the time. Mm-hmm. We'll coach the cast twice a week. We'll take this very seriously. We'll get permission from big league clubs, whatever. Florence was like, yep, we're in. Let's do it. We held tryouts. We went out and used our network of friends that we knew through the University of Kentucky, through the Mets, the Reds, all the teams we knew, our affiliate. Mm-hmm. We went out and put together two independent teams. We played a season, and we ended up bringing in Brandon Phillips, you know, 15-time yeah. All-Star or 20,000-time All-Star, if you ask him. And we went and brought <laughs> in, you know, a bunch of guys who are currently, to this day, in minor league baseball that needed a place to play for the summer. And we had tryouts and had local guys. We had one kid who you know, tore his shoulder in college and just needed a place to play. And, uh, you know, the one guy who was like 50 who had played in the minors and fizzled out, but wanted his kids to see him play. And so he played for a little bit and it just kept going and going. And, and it turned out to be really cool. And we had a lot of fans and Brandon Phillips definitely helped that cause for mm-hmm. sure. And, uh, you know, we had a home run derby where he hit like 45 home runs. It was unbelievable. And, uh, when we did that, we realized, you know what, we can we can survive COVID. We can we can survive getting eliminated. We can survive anything. Let's go do the independent thing. And so we, we made the effort. We found out officially, you know, the, that it was happening. Um, and there was a lot of media and New York Times, and everyone knows the list that happened. And the New York Times showed up in our office one day to interview us about it, and it was kind of crazy. And we did it. And it happened. And we just said, you know what, let's move forward. Let's not worry about it. And kind of right off the hop we went right into the indie ball route and started courting teams and, and leagues and learning about it and that's kind of how we got to where we are today interesting huh so i mean clearly there's there's a lot of things you got to figure out right like you like you were saying like you're like yeah i know tell me about it like 
Um, you're talking about like recruiting players, that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's also the aspect of paying the players, right? Like, yeah. what? I mean, clearly, I've never been involved in in anything like that besides like when I make my own franchise on NBA 2K. Like, yeah. Um, like what? How how do you process that? How do you plan for that? Um, you know, do you take you know part of the gate and put that towards you know a pot to play the players? Like, what? Just so, what are the biggest differences? Obviously, you know, paying the players, that kind of you know, recruiting players, that kind of stuff. But what are some pros and cons of you know being an MILB team versus an Atlantic League team? You know, it's very different. When you're an affiliated team, there are certain things that you as a front office employee don't really think about. Like, you know, you were with Delmarva. You knew the Orioles were going to send prospects there. They were going to send coaches and trainers and equipment, and they were going to cover workers' comp and, you know, things like that. You knew that bidders had to go and book hotels and buses, and that was taken care of, and that was really the extent of it. You'd Mm -hmm. ask permission for interviews and appearances and and clinics and stuff and that's really it your focus is so solely on how do we sell tickets do we sell more tickets how do we do this let's do it and so for us it was trying to balance you take your traditional minor league baseball budget and you say okay what is you know by switching out of affiliated what are we not paying anymore and so for one ticket tax is a major deal major league baseball collects a ticket tax from all of its affiliated clubs that's a big amount of money, especially if you do your job correctly and you sell tickets, you're giving up a, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially in a given year. Right. So right off the bat, boom, baseball operations fund is begun and, and you have to pay the players. The second part of it is figuring out what league you want to be in because the league determines how much you're paying the guys, okay. what the requirements are, what level of player. And then most important to us was how many games are you playing? You know, we we own our own facility. We're one of very few teams in professional baseball that, you know, outside of the major leagues that own their own ballpark, which means every single expense and repair belongs to us. But it also means it's on us to fill that ballpark as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And so we made a decision to to go with the Atlantic League, and, you know, we can get into that later, but um, it it set us up for a number. We can spend $55,000 a month in salary. We know there's a minimum, we know there's a maximum, there's roster rules, just like any other league. Okay, how do you go about it after that? We got into a very fortunate situation. We were able to hire a a player named Michael Koltak, who was a pitcher for us in this Battle of the Bourbon Trail Summer League last year. Um, Actually led the league in ERA, but was ready to retire. And so we hired him to help us with baseball operations, and he knew a lot of guys he had played with, and you know, you start to do the the separation, right? Okay, I know this guy, he played for the Red Sox. He knows this guy. You get phone numbers out there, and you get guys messaging you on Instagram and LinkedIn. I represent so-and-so. Yeah. I want to sign him up, whatever. Um, fortunately, I, I've made friends with a lot of guys over the years and been able to get in touch with them. And we just kind of pieced it together between the president, him, myself, our manager. And then also, fortunately for us, or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, the Somerset Patriots and the Sugarland Skeeters left the Atlantic League and joined minor league baseball, which means that the two of the top three teams from the last season were all free agents. Right. We knew that, and we knew exactly what worked and didn't work for those teams, and we went out and hand-selected the guys we wanted. And we called them up, 
The league was very resourceful, provided us with contact information for every player. You know, the Atlantic League is run very well. Uh, the league president, Rick White, is at the top of his game. He should be the commissioner of baseball, but that's a different issue. Um, <laughs> and he was able to provide us with every bit of detail and, and knowledge on how to go about doing it. And so you start to figure that out. What's important, pitching or hitting? It's almost like your 2K franchise. You start to think about, is it worth it going after big names? Is it worth it going after local guys? You know, we've got the University of Kentucky. Do we go get UK players? Right. We get University of Louisville guys. or we go get Reds players and all that? And so we were able to form a partnership with the Cincinnati Reds, which gave us access to some information, um, able to form a partnership with the University of Kentucky and Louisville and, and get access to players and things like that. And we just, it's just this Frankenstein beast that has led us to being first half champions of the Southern Division and the best team in the Atlantic League. I like it. I like it, man. Dude, that's that's so eye-opening. Like like I said, like, you know, I, I spent my whole career in, in minor league baseball where either, you know, the Phillies, the Oakland A's, or the Baltimore Orioles sent us players. And, you know, that's just something you don't have to worry about. But speaking from a promotional standpoint... You can't you can't get players to do this and do that, you yeah. know. Um, whereas you're in a situation where you can get players to pretty much do whatever you want and and have fun and and you know do more in depth promotions with the players and that kind of stuff. You have to be you have to be mindful too of you know they work for you in mm-hmm. this in this independent model, but they're also people. They're also working their butts off trying to get back. You know the one thing that's so funny to me is. And I know I'm going to wear this a little bit by whoever listens and hears this, but when you work in affiliated baseball, you almost write the indie ball leagues off as a joke because you think like, oh, they're independent. Like they don't know what we go through. Right. It's easy for them. They can do whatever they want. You look at the St. Saint Paul Saints. They were the best team in minor league baseball for the last 20 years, no matter what affiliation class league doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You look at teams like the Long Island Ducks, you know, the, the teams that are around right now, it is so much harder to be an independent operator than it is an affiliated operator just because of what goes into managing a roster. And it's not just about putting players, but they're people. You have to take into account they've got families. They've got medical concerns. They're trying to get back to affiliated baseball. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so important. You know, a guy will play for like 1500 bucks a month because he knows that if he plays well enough, a team will sign him. We've been fortunate. We've had seven guys signed out of our team this year. The wow. league is at a record 75, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's unreal. And you have to really consider when in affiliated, you don't really care about it because there's that separation. But in independent ball, they're part of the team. They're part of your staff. They know everyone. They're there. They're there a little longer than affiliated guys can be. You have to go through the ups and downs with them. When a guy gets injured in affiliated ball, they ship him back to the complex you don't see him. Maybe he shows up again. Maybe not. Right. Cool. Guy gets hurt for us. We have to go through the protocols. They have to be seen by specialists. There's surgery on the table. What do you do? Do you release them? Do you keep them? Because there's no, you know, it's one year contracts. So if a guy gets hurt for the year, it's probably getting released. And you have to go through that every single day and all night. And there's the group text and the group me messages and, you know, making sure guys are happy and housing is taken care of and buses and transportation. Right. And so it's just a different animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great challenge. It's been a lot of fun for us. But it's, you know, I respect the indie ball people a hell of a lot more than I used to. And <laughs> they know that. I've told them all that. And I've apologized to them profusely for things I've said 
that I kind of made up. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's definitely a good point. Um, there was a guy that was in Delmarva, a pitcher, um, and you said you've been staying up late and waking up early to to watch the Olympics, so you might have heard his name, Alex Katz. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So he was with the Long Island Ducks. I don't know if the Orioles released him or what. Um, and then now he's in the in the Cubs organization, and he's pitching for Team Israel. Um, you know, so he's he's riding out there in the in the big glove, um, you know, golf that. cart. I, the glove. I love the glove. I love, yeah. First of all, Team Israel, member of the tribe. I'm also part of the tribe, and so I love. Okay. You know, love watching them do do well and. Uh, full of just a bunch of Jewish dudes from New York. I love it. Nice. It's crazy, though. Guys will bounce around. You look at Team Israel, um, most of them are indie ball guys. Yeah. They're um, really competitive. The catcher, Nick Rickles, he was on, he was on um, the team in Beloit that I worked for. Um, yep. I'm trying to think. I knew Alex Katz, Nick Rickles. There was somebody else that I knew on Team Israel the center fielder for Team Israel. He's the guy who wears the jersey that looks like it's from the Baby Gap. Yeah. And uh, he he's the, actually he's on the Lancaster Barnstormers in this league. Hmm. And he hits the ball a ton. He's, he's got, I think, their all-time home run record. He's close to the Atlantic League's record. And he is a gamer. And you watch him go out there in the Olympics and compete. And it, it's, I mean, we have some serious talent in our league. Yeah. And it's clearly happening because they're getting signed left and right. Uh, it, you just have a new appreciation for what they do and how they work and Sometimes you forget how you know how everything's made when you just have the player show up and, and done. And so it's given me a new appreciation for baseball as a whole. Yeah, the Atlantic League has a really good reputation for for a high level of play. Um, and, and you know we'll talk we'll talk more about that versus other leagues um, later um, when we get to the listener questions portion. Um, but still super interested in that. Um, let's see here. All right, so I I don't know if you want to call it a privilege or what. I had I got to work the uh, the Lexington Legends Delmarva Shorebirds twenty one inning <laughs> game. Um, so, oh, or how happy were you that that was on the road? You know, you try to follow the the, the games on the road. You know, checking the score in the office and mm-hmm. whatever. I remember, I remember seeing an email come across um, from. I might have been Eric. I don't know. Someone emailed me and just said, "Are you seeing this uh, on your staff?" And I tuned in and saw that it was going on and on. And I, you know, you guys suspended the game. We were taking bets in the office. What's going to happen in the morning? And then, of course, Martin Gasparini hits a walk-off home run on the first pitch of the result. Yeah, maybe second first pitch. First pitch. The guy who never made it out of high A and uh, it was over. And we, we were thinking about sending you guys some bourbon or something. We felt awful. Uh, I mean, it was, you never want to see that happen. And it's just nice to know it didn't happen in our ballpark. So now we have the, the runner on second rule, which, so yeah. that, that'll never happen ever again. Um, no. But that game just went on and on and on and um, we pulled tarp at one o'clock in the morning when the game was still going on at that point, and then we yeah. suspended it and had to. So it was probably two two thirty in the morning by the time I left the ballpark. 
had to, had to be back by 7 a.m. so that we had to so we could take the tarp off the field because so the grass wouldn't burn obviously and oh, yeah. um sish and i were sitting at ihop and we're because we we run the shorebird social media eric and i did and um we're just looking at all these notifications all these articles that were written about us like you know um baseball america um usa today like we're just sitting at ihop eating our pancakes just looking at all these notifications you know all of all the national media that we got picked up on which was cool i much would have rather been in bed um yeah and and not had to pull tarp at seven o'clock in the morning and at one o'clock in the morning so um but yeah just thought i'd throw that out there that you that happened on the road for you guys that was a tough one. I, I remember our team getting back from that trip, and our manager just—he needed a couple days. It was that was a tough. A lot of arms were thrown in that series. Yeah, I, I was I was pleasantly surprised that we didn't throw any non-pitchers. Honestly, I, you know what? It's funny. The, the guy on that team who probably would have thrown for us hit the walk-off. Okay, we probably saved himself. I mean, it ended up being like a. 17 hour delay technically or something I yeah remember. exactly yep um gasparini he's he's italian right he's he is he's is he playing for team italy he is not yeah okay. the last i've heard martin gasparini was taking a shot at professional soccer oh interesting he's a very talented athlete when the Royals signed him he just wasn't couldn't feel the ground ball okay <laughs> i gotcha So you've been around the block a few times from what it sounds like. Um, and I was just talking about that 21-inning game with, with all those tarp pulls. Um, do you have any crazy tarp stories? This is the Pulling Tarp Podcast. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I've got two two that come to mind always. Uh, one from Binghamton and one from, from Lexington. The, the Binghamton one, uh, not as funny, but it was funny for us. We had a manager, uh, several people have heard of, named Wally Backman, Mm -hmm. my first year in baseball. And Wally is uh, very eccentric. And Wally was very adamant that we were going to have two of our relief pitchers throw live BP on the field before a game. And we had told him, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, it's going to rain. He said, no, 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 you'll be fine. So pop-up storm comes up. We take the tarp out and we pull it basically in line with second and third base in preparation for them to get off the field so we can cover it for the game that was happening like two hours later that night. Mm -hmm. And Wally dragged his feet a little bit more, skies opened up, and we were just like, move. And we kicked him off the field, and the players pulled the turtle off the field and all the stuff, and we got the tarp. We got the tarp about halfway to home plate, and it just stops moving. I mean, Uh, it is dumping water. So our players, who are not supposed to be touching the tarp, get involved, and they start to pull the tarp, and it's moving. We had an outfielder named Lorenzo Scott. Lorenzo was a strong safety at Ball State before he got into oh, baseball. Okay. You know, 6'4", 210, 
you don't want to send a wide receiver over the middle against the run. No, no. So he runs out, and he grabs the tarp right in the middle of it, and he pulls and rips the tarp. <laughs> pulls the handle off, keeps going, rips a seam into the tarp, doesn't know what to do. Wow. We end up getting the, the tarp just over the first baseline and saving it. Our groundskeepers were furious. It, I mean, it was brutal. Getting the tarp off the field was an hour process. It was, it was bad. That was pretty bad. But the worst tarp story I have landed us on the ESPN Not Top 10 in 2018. Uh, we had an intern, food and beverage intern. It was her first ever tarp pull. <laughs> it rained really hard to the point where you had to take the tarp back to the wall to dump it and get a better running start with more wind under it. One of those situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 25 people out there. And so we go back, we start running. And our marketing director at the time, Ty Cobb and I, are next to each other. And we realize someone's missing between us. There shouldn't be an open handle. I look down and I realize that this intern, who I will not name, has fallen under the tarp. The problem Mm. is, is we're about 20 feet away from where it happened. And we can't stop. Oh, yeah. We just keep going. And we leave her under there. And we know she's going to crawl. We get the tarp on the field. I peel off. I'm looking for her. We find her crawling and she crawled the farthest distance from the first baseline to center field our oh. trainer and the trainer for the uh i want to say it was hagerstown was standing there waiting for her they took her she was bleeding from the elbows knees covered in mud you know they grabbed her immediately took her off the field um you know standing ovation for her everything was fine and then the next morning we wake up we turn on espn and our producer who is a third party consultant had submitted the tape at the not top 10 we were number two oh. on the not top 10 and she had gotten a shout out and that was pretty bad that was that might have been the worst tarpaul of my career wow yeah i've had some cool. I, i've had some doozies but i never made not top 10 man we we did it we did it <laughs> That's so funny, and and to be an intern nonetheless, like you're you're already not getting paid enough. <laughs> First ever tarp pull for her, oh. or I should say, only ever tarp pull for her. We never made her pull tarp ever again. Oh wow, it was that bad, huh? Man. Yeah, we had a hoser. I mean, it was bad. Like it was, she was freaked out. I, I get it. I yeah, mean, she was under the tarp. That thing weighs a ton. Yeah, and. It was scary, and you know, but we, we gave her the next day off. We let her recover. She came right into work, didn't care. Yeah. She went right back to her job, so I respect her for that. Respect, for sure. Um, so I imagine part of your role now is that you, you have to interview a lot of people for open positions for, uh, for Lexington and for West Virginia um, with the ownership group. Do you personally ask any strange or off-the-wall questions when you're interviewing people? I'm worried that someone told you I did this. I know. No. Nobody's, nobody's told me this. I, have, I do have a weird question. I will give credit to um, the Legends' former uh, director of, she's had like four titles, Anne, Anne Madsen, who created this question or brought it to my attention at least. Um, but every interview I've given in the last five years, I have asked the same question which is pretty, I've heard it other places, but if you could have dinner with any uh, three people, dead or alive, fiction, nonfiction, care, anything you could think of, who would they be, why, of course, and then where are you going to take them? And I've asked it every intern, 
and we interview. And if I haven't interviewed that person and we've hired them, I still ask them on their first day. Wow. That is a good question. Hmm. It really gives you an idea of who you're hiring in the weirdest way possible. You know, I like to work with people that I actually like. Um, I want to create that, and I think that helps you see them. But it also it also gives you a chance to take a look at their quick creative thinking. Yeah. You know, I get a lot of the same answers, some really weird answers. Um, and, and I think that it's just a fun kind of breaks up the monotony of the interview. Uh, and you get to know someone that way pretty well. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so let me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spitfire here with, with my answer. All right. Michael Jordan, number one, because he's the best basketball player to ever live. And I feel like he's got some stories, you know, playing, playing with Scotty and Dennis, um, especially Dennis, um, and then, let me see here. Uh, I would probably say uh, KFC from from Barstool. Um, I I like to listen. Just he's got so many stories, and he asks very interesting questions when he interviews people. Um, I, I I'm just a big fan of like pretty much all the content he puts out, um, just because he keeps it real. And, hmm, I'll probably say, oh, somebody, somebody in the minor league baseball spectrum. Let me think. Hunter. Ooh, <laughs> Hunter's close. I, I guess maybe maybe Austin. Ooh, Austin. Austin would be interesting. Austin and, and and Jordan could talk about you know like how they wax their heads and stuff. I think that's, that's oh yeah, that's true. Um, Austin's just interesting because he's got like a religious studies degree and he's the new GM of the the Danville team, um, and uh, which which I am. What's that? He owes me a hat. Ooh. I, I have an Otterbot shirt. I am the Delaware ambassador for the Otterbots. I should have been the Kentucky ambassador. Someone beat me to it. Is somebody the main ambassador? I don't... Ooh, I'm going to have to hit him up. Yeah, hit him up, for sure. Hard thought. Um, but, but, yeah, Austin's just a very interesting person to talk to. So is Hunter, so... Um, but they both... I've not been invited on their podcast yet, and so... I haven't either. Um, they they, whenever they have a podcast that they put out, they always mention that they should have me on it, but that has never come about. So, um, that but but yeah, I th- so so those are the three people and why. So I would take them to my favorite cheesesteak place in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Uh, Joe's cheesesteaks. Uh, well, I guess it's it's actually a pizza place. So Joe's Pizza in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, um, but they have the best cheesesteaks. The bread is made out of the dough from their pizza. Um, okay. So it is. It's legit. It's definitely my favorite cheesesteak place. So that's the, that's now, my answer. Whiz with whiz without. What do you got going? Ooh. Um. I'm more. 
I can do the whiz. I'm more of a provolone person myself. Oh, a pro. Yeah. That's, see, it's all about where you take them. And I think I've, I've overanalyzed this interview question so many times now because people always ask me after the fact, like, you know, what are you looking to see? And I'm like, there's no right there's, answer. Right. There are several wrong answers. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you say, well, I'm going to take them to Olive Garden. Like, that's a no for me. Like, that's not happening. Um, you know, and so I, I've got some favorites and I've got some favorite bad ones too. But you also want to have a group of people that will interact well together. Yeah. You have a good dinner party. You want everyone to, you know, so your group, I think, would do pretty well together. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think my group was pretty good. But, um, but yeah, so I don't know if I would have gotten hired by you guys, but who knows? That's a pretty good, you know what, it's, it's a good one too, because I like the creativity of having a specific place in mind. You know, we've had a lot of people answer with, like, really bad chains. Uh, the, the typical one I get is, like, the frat bro who wants to be a ticket sales guy who says, like, you know, certain player, their dead relative, something religious, and then they're like, well, we're going to go to the steakhouse and get steak. And I'm like, come on, like, you got to change it up. I know there's a local spot you like, or I know there's yeah. someone you like more, and I'm not looking for the right answer, so... Yours was good. Yours was strong. All right. Perfect. Let's see. All right. So what's the strangest thing that you've had to assist with during a game? Oh, man. You know, most of my strange things, I would say, are not game-related. I think the toughest things I've had to do, you know, everyone's done the concessions, parking, ticket window, Mm -hmm. um, I'm, a, I'm one of the MLB certified stringers, so I can do the oh. game day stuff. Yep. I spent one game, we had a, a 10.30 game, uh, and the media was there recording something, and so our staff was very focused on that. So I actually ran the video boards and also did the stringing from the control room without looking at the field. That was kind of tough. Yeah. Uh, that was a weird one. Off the field, I've had some really weird ones. Uh, I caught a bullpen last year for Henry Owens, who's a former major leaguer, throws 97 miles an hour. That was interesting. That was that was painful. Yeah, um, I would imagine. Yeah, that was tough. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun, though. Uh, I've you know I, I've somehow become the go-to guy for driving vehicles on and off the field. So I got to back up a macaroni and cheese food truck off the field during a food truck event uh, through a blind corner around right field. Um, things like that. Had to, uh, you know, in-game airport runs are always fun. I actually got to drive a player in the middle of the first inning from Binghamton to City Field for his major league debut that night. Whoa. Which was, that was crazy. Um, since then, we've remained friends, and he's actually on our team in Lexington now. So nice. Small world on that. Yeah. Uh, just stuff like that, you know. It's just cooking hot dogs, you name it, I've done it. Nice. I managed an inning, or let me rephrase that. I got to be the manager for one of our teams last summer for one at bat because the manager put himself in the game to hit. So that was fun. <laughs> nice. That's pretty cool, actually. Wow. The closest I've ever gotten to that is, and I don't know if I should really say this or not, but um, one of, I had a manager. You know, the the season had gone to hell in a handbasket, um, and it was one of the last games of the season, and uh, he let me pick the lineup, and we won. So I, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, and then 
right along with the airport runs, I got to take squints to the airport at 4 o'clock in the morning. You guys had the squint appearance, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Had had to capitalize on the 25th anniversary. Oh, I get it. Yeah. love squints. Yeah. Uh, what's the weirdest interaction you've had with a fan? Oh, man, that's a good question. <laughs> weirdest interaction with a fan. Um, oof. I've had a few I've had a few weird ones where I've had to throw people out, which I do not like doing. Um, those are always uncomfortable and bizarre. Um, I've had a couple of interactions with fans that don't understand that I don't play for the team because I work there. It's not yeah. like that. So that's always a interesting question. We have a fan. We had a fan in Binghamton, New York, um, named John. We'll leave it at John. And John called up the box office one day and asked for a free T-shirt. And he said that he knew... Wally Backman, the manager, it always comes back to Wally. He knew <laughs> Wally and that he wanted to get a free T-shirt, and Wally told him to call. And so doing our due diligence, we went and said, hey, do you know this guy? And he said, no, sounds crazy, whatever. Next day he calls. I pick up the phone. I talk to the guy. I explain to him, you can purchase a T-shirt in the store when you come to a game. He mm-hmm. said, well, I don't live in Binghamton. I live in New Jersey, and I'm going to go see the team in Trenton next week, which we weren't going to be in Trenton next week. And this went on for like two weeks, and he demanded a free T-shirt. He went as far as leaving a voicemail on my phone that said, this is so-and-so, here's my address, here's my T-shirt size, I'm a diabetic, goodbye, and hung up. It just didn't make any sense. And so yeah. it's always been a running joke that, you know, this guy, so-and-so, would, would show up for a T-shirt. Well, fast forward 10 years later, one of uh, my coworkers at the time now works for the hockey team over there, and gets a phone call from this guy, John, who lives in Jersey and is looking for a free T-shirt. And so that this guy is still going. He <laughs> called as of, I want to say Wednesday, he called again over there. Wow. So hopefully I'll get to meet him in person one day. But that's probably the weirdest out-of-the-box fan interaction I've ever had. So, wow. That Yeah, that's pretty good. Wow, what is with people wanting free stuff, like in minor, <laughs> in minor league sports? I don't know. Free understand. stuff is the key to everything. Yeah, I know. Um... So, I always love the promotional aspect of minor league baseball. So, what's the best and worst promotions that you've been a part of? I think the... <laughs> depends how you define it, right? Yeah, so right. I think, I think the one of the best that we ever did, in my opinion, is, is tied in Lexington. And it was... We did Millennial Night. Okay. And we put it out there. It was like a... Sunday game, there wasn't going to be anything going on. We thought it'd be funny. And so we gave out um, participation ribbons. We had, we told fans to bring their own coloring books in case the game got too stressful. We encouraged selfies. You know, we, we encouraged updating your Tinder profile of the game and, and showing that you like to be outside. We had petitions going throughout the night at guest services. One was to make avocado toast the official food of Kentucky. Um, it was it was funny. It was just like a funny little joke in the office. It's yeah. a Sunday game. It cost us like I don't know a hundred bucks to put on. It was you know whatever. Yeah. And then Fox News picked it up, and then the Washington Post picked it up, and then everyone picked it up, and then the Montgomery Biscuits also did a promotion two days later, very similar, and they had a napping area and you know all that, and we got blown up on social media, man. You know, when is Boomer Night? Do you think this is funny that I have crippling debt? You know, just all this, like, way too personal stuff on Twitter. And we're like, look, that's not what this is about. It was just supposed to be funny. And so 
People did not like that. Yeah. Um, some people had fun. We had a good little crowd. I thought it was a fantastically executed promotion. Uh, we Similarly, we did a Firefest night also. We did cheese sandwiches, and we'd set up a VIP tent with a air mattress and right field <laughs> and things like that. So we liked, we liked that stuff for sure. That's on awesome. The, on the bad side of things, there's a lot that come to mind. Just some fun ones. Um, there was a show on Fox called Pitch a couple years ago. Okay. It was about this girl who becomes a San Diego Padres pitcher, and she's the first female in Major League Baseball. The concept was great. The ter- television show was terrible. And leading up to the release of the show, Fox had partnered with, like, 30 minor league baseball teams and said, hey, we've, we've you know, identified your, net, your uh, media market is perfect for this. We want to do a big event. And so they paid us a sponsorship fee, and we gave every fan a souvenir cup with the logo and the pictures on it, the whole nine. Okay. Uh, and then after the game, you were to stay in your seat and watch the first episode, or like the first half of the first episode, you know. Oh. And so we, we hyped this thing up. We're going full core press, social media, press release, website, in-game, the whole thing. Game ends, and it is just our front office, our interns, two executives from Fox, and three fans in the stands who are together watching the promotion mm. the first episode of the show pitch. And it was brutal the show actually wasn't that bad that episode but standing there with the executives from your sponsor while there's three fans in the ballpark watching this and no one can go home for a half hour yeah oh man that was a tough one i do remember vaguely seeing that commercial but again i i never watched the show i never i do i remember seeing the commercial i think like one time and that was it. it was, uh, Zach Morris, Saved by the Bell. He was there, Mark Paul. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it was a tough. It was a tough show. We, that was a pretty bad promotion. I think that year we also had the unfortunate every bobblehead game rained out. Mm. We had we had Tebow on the field with a Coach Cal, the legend, the legendary coach bobblehead. Yep, and it rained out with probably 4,000 in the stadium already, so that was pretty bad that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a diamond dig one year where we lost the, uh, we forgot where it was dug, where it was stuck under. Oh, wow. Um, we had a superhero night with some two tight costumes for some of our male interns. That was fun. Nice. It was always rough. Yep. So, you know, you try some things, they don't work. We also had a lot of successful things, and, and we've done a lot of great stuff. And um, our, our biggest promotions that do well, uh, consistently, you know, our pony hop races and squishy coal rock toss. I mean, it's free. Oh yeah, uh, and then our cocktails and stuff like that. So it's it's been a, it's been fun. It's always fun. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, so we do have some listener questions here. Oh, God. Let me see here. Okay, um, I think just maybe one. I'll have to scroll through my notifications. I think just one. Um, what was the difference between choosing the Atlantic League over the Frontier League? So for us, it came down to number of events and then the level of play. You know, if you look at the Atlantic League right now, you have a lot of players who have played affiliated baseball and Major League Baseball. When our roster was released for opening day at home, we had 27 players active. 21 of them had big league service time. In the Frontier League, you don't you don't get that. It's it's a you know, 
I hate to say lower level, but it's different. It's definitely a younger league. They have yeah. age limits and roster rules, and we didn't want that. We wanted a league where we had the freedom to go out there and put on a big show year one. You know, we had promised our fans that indie ball was going to be better. It was going to be different. You know, no one really cared who was on our team when we won the championship. And I don't think anyone, you know, cared that Reed Rollman hit the walk-off home run and then retired in 2019 after the championship. I think it was more so about the team. Now, you know, we roll into a season with Brandon Phillips and Henry Owens and Tony Singrani and Jordan Pacheco, you know, J.J. Hoover, just all these big-time players and all-stars. Jeremy Jeffries is in our bullpen right now. Okay. Um, And so for, for us, it was really about that. There were a lot of fans... Who were upset that we didn't choose, you know, choose to go to the Frontier League because of its proximity for us to Florence. Mm-hmm. It was a nice actual rivalry there. You know, we we genuinely had a rivalry going after last summer. Sure. I a lot of people just assumed that we would do that. We're also the furthest uh, southwest of any Atlantic League team right now. As the league stands today, um, for an expansion that's happening next year, we're still the furthest away. And so I think a lot of people in the indie ball community looked at the map and said, well, that doesn't make sense to go to the Atlantic League. It makes sense to go to the Frontier League or the American Association. And we took it as a challenge and said, you know, we need to, we need the highest level of play. We need the most games. And this is what the Atlantic League afforded us was the full schedule. Okay. I dig it. Um, I've been to some Frontier League games, have not been to the any Atlantic League games, but like I said, like the Atlantic League has has a reputation of being a very high-quality independent league. So, um, we take it as being a direct affiliate with Major League Baseball now. Right. You know, we've the partner league thing is out there. Um, there's four of us or five of us. You know, we're the test rule league. Everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. Like, starting this week, we're actually moving the pitching rubber back 12 inches. Oh, okay. It's a big, big deal, and we're trying to see, you know, Theo Epstein at Major League Baseball is leading this push to see if we can – create some more offense that way and if it's some safety concerns and things like that but you know we are the league that tested the automatic strike zone and and the extra runner and extra innings and you know we tried stealing first base for a season that didn't really work out well um and and things like that so we like being a part of that future okay i like it how have those like those rule changes like gone as far as like the automatic you know strike zone and stuff like that the automatic strike zone is tough because it has done everything it was supposed to do. It does work. The issue that we've run into as a league, I think, and as a team is that it is a, it's a test, you know, it's supposed to fail. Things are supposed to happen. So we can go back and say, Hey, this doesn't work. This works better. we learned a lot. We learned that, you know, if the groundskeeper doesn't properly trim the plate in some cities, that the way the angle of the radar is, it doesn't pick it up properly. Or, um, the strike zone is actually wider in the Atlantic League and shorter. And so there was a video that went around the internet of one of our players who had struck out and it looked to be very far outside. It, it wasn't, but it, it changed the game up and it changed up for a lot of our hitters. And so I think it has done everything it set out to do. It is a great test pilot for the league and for Major League Baseball to look at. Because that's always the joke, right? If an umpire misses a call, bring in the robots. It's always the tweet. Right. We have we have the, the quote-unquote robot um, umpire, and their their accuracy is not 100%. You know, it makes mistakes. Because, again, it's a Doppler radar that's reading the pitch coming in. So mm-hmm. it's never going to be perfect. And I think 
that alone has created success from the, the case that was set out to be solved. Okay. All right. And then um, I think I think you have to talk about your hair based based on the <laughs> the comments. It wasn't there. It wasn't a question involved, but I think you got to talk about your hair. So I went on the Indie Ball podcast back in April or May when we announced that we were joining the, the Atlantic League. Uh, two guys who follow Indie Ball very closely there. They're awesome. I would definitely you know, check them out if you're into the Indie Ball stuff. And when we set up the interview, they asked for listener questions like any good podcast will do. And they got inundated with fan questions about my hair because as you'll see in the picture you posted of me, when I'm in the office, I have my hair done up. I got a lot of gel in there, product that looks good. It's never out of place. Um, and so the hair has become a thing now on several interviews. And my president, Andy, likes to go out and tell everyone about my hair. He's convinced people that it's fake. <laughs> people will actually walk up to me in the ballpark and just start pulling my hair, touching my hair, because he's convinced them that it's fake and that they should do that. And so it's become a big deal. I thought about doing the hair up for you tonight, Bobby, but I just... You know, hey, it's too much work. I get it. I get it, man. Um, so, where can the listeners find you on social media, Jesse? Uh, Foursquare, Vine, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm big on MySpace. Twitter. Yeah. Oh, my, my MySpace is, is great. Um, I think I still have my top five friends there. Ooh. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter, uh, jscags23, um, and then also on Instagram. Um, same thing there, except, uh, you know, JCX23 again. Facebook. I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Yep. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, um, I'm always love to do it. I love to talk to people in the industry who want to learn more, who want to grow their career, who are already in the career doing their thing. I'm, I'm a big uh, communication guy. All right. I like it. Uh, so I know you've listened to a handful of episodes. Um, so during your minor league baseball career, what has been your favorite walk-up song, and whose was it? The 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 one that always pops up. It's so funny. So I listened to your your like you said. I listened to a bunch of episodes. You know, I wanted to hear my buddy David Heimendinger Ooh, on the line, and I yeah. wanted to hear Austin and everyone else, and um, Chelsea, who I love, indie ball writer. Then, yeah. And, and this question came up. I started thinking about it. You know, how do I figure this out? And the one thing that popped in my mind, and I think you can appreciate this. The more minor league baseball games or major league baseball games you go to and you start to hear these walk-up songs, you don't actually hear the songs anymore when you're in a bar or at a restaurant or, or on your computer or your phone, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I don't know the full version of music anymore because when I hear the chorus or the hook, it automatically makes me think of that player. Yeah. And that's it. My mind just shuts down. And so I was in the car this morning and a song came on. Um, it was Party Rock Anthem, right? Big yeah. banger back in the day. And all I could think about was Jonathan Malo, our second baseman in 2011. It was his walk-up song. And, like, yes. we'd be at a bar and come on and he'd go crazy. And so that one always laughs. But the, the favorite outside of Mariano Rivera, Andrew Sandman, greatest baseball player of all time, is, is Bapu Party Favor. Um, in 2012, our closer, excuse me, 2015, 14, 15. Our closer was Paul Seawald with the Binghamton Mets, who ended up playing for the New York Mets in the big leagues. Great guy, by the way. He was a substitute teacher in the offseason. Wow. A good person. 
and Paul would come out to this song, and it's this total house music banger. You got you want to blast it through the roof, you know, blow the stadium speakers out. He'd come in, amped up, strike out a couple guys, we'd get out of the game. But we also had a sponsor read for a local HVAC company that would appear in the ninth inning, and it was almost like a noise meter, boiling point, shtick, right? Right. Let's get loud. So he'd come out of the bullpen, we'd play the beginning of the song, and it would hype up, it would hype, it would hype up, and then the music would drop in volume so that the PA announcer could read this read. And every time at home, you would see Paul kind of shrug his shoulders and look at the press box and kind of be like, really, guys? And then they would close, the PA, would, the read would end, and we'd go right back to the song, and it would drop, the, the song, the beat would drop, and we'd blast it. And he'd get pumped up and strike the next guy out. And it was just like, that season, that was the song. Nice. What's the song called again? Party Favor by Bap U. Ooh, okay. All right, I'll have to, I'm going to check it out, obviously, and put it on the, the playlist, the uh, Pulling Tart Podcast walk-up playlist. Um, but yeah, man, shout shout out, you listen, you, you listed a whole bunch of people that had awesome interviews. I just invite people to, to go back and listen. Chelsea, Chelsea Ladd, she is deep into the indie ball game. I love her. I love her grind. She is very important. So the, the, so Chelsea and then the the guys I spoke about, Nick, Nick and, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. He's going to be so mad at me at the indie ball report. Will, oh my God, sorry, Will were so important to our transition to indie ball and learning about it because they do so much work to make it presentable and show you what's going on. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Plus Chelsea lives in Kentucky and she's been to legends games and she's yep. covered us before. So shout out to Chelsea lad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's, she's doing big things. Um, but yeah, shout out, shout out to all those people and you know, you of course, and thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the pulling tart podcast um, Emma's on the road, so I'm glad this worked out for you. Um, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to hit her up to, to see if she can come on at some point. But, um, but yeah, that, that was a little embarrassing, um, finding out that you guys were engaged after texting you or messaging you both, like, within five minutes of each other. I'm just happy that you came to me first <laughs> because, typically speaking, it's always about Emma. I was at a Sea Dogs game uh last weekend and someone stopped me in the stands and said oh my god i, I recognize you from social media and i kind of like you know puffed my chest up was like oh yeah that's great like do you follow me on social media and he was like yeah you're emma's fiance right <laughs> i was like cool yes, yes. Uh, hey man two- there could be worse things you could be known for for sure 100 100 percent. you know but you should definitely have emma on and um her friend emily messina went on there so she yeah yeah, Emily Lucino was was a great one. She pulled tarp in a prom dress. Um, yes. So that was that was a good one for sure. Um, but yeah, man, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on the Pulling Tarp podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, I know you're a busy guy, so um, so yeah, Anytime. man. Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk soon.
You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversations.